Now, I was asked to come and speak to you. I was not asked to perform miracles. How am I going to keep you awake after that delicious food, which I could hardly restrain myself, but I did, to go back and have fourths and fifths? So I do feel a little proud of myself to be so restrained. But it was absolutely delicious, especially those salads. My, oh, my. Well, anyway, whether I perform miracles or not, if you need to sleep, remember, we're relaxed today. We are very relaxed. You're not even taking notes. You can even sleep during when I speak. I don't care. Just be relaxed, and you'll get something from it. Now, a book that has been in my heart for many, many years After I wrote Biblical Eldership, literally, and this becomes quite a problem, every day I get phone calls, sometimes I get a couple of days, too many emails, I have to have a lady, just do emails, there's so many. And I found out that 80% of all my phone calls and emails were not about Biblical Eldership, it was about church division and fighting. That's the big problem uh, out there. And so I wrote this book, If You Bite and Devour One Another, Biblical Principles for Handling Conflict. And I just went through all the churches in the New Testament, every one of them had conflict, What were the principles the apostles used, like Philippians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, to uh, deal with conflict? Conflict's perfectly normal in life. In fact, not all conflict is bad. Sometimes it's necessary and good, Acts chapter 15. It's how we handle it. Conflict is always a test of what are our principles. What do we really believe? What do we follow? So I want to highly recommend this, and then... We have all these books in Spanish. Spanish. If you're a Spanish speaker, come to the table, take some of these. You can take them free, uh, but just leave the last last one. So all these books are in Spanish. We try to get them into Spanish language as soon as we can. And then the hospitality commands, which um, we will be talking about as we go into our series here. Brother, would you take these? By the way, Darren, that was very good uh, advertising. You did a wonderful job, and you get like 2% of all the sales. Yeah, no more. I get 10%. We're recording that. So. I deny it all. The book, Equal Yet Different, I wrote for actually college students and high school students because many of the books on men and women's role, they're literally that thick. Very technical. No one is ever going to read that as a normal person. Just theologians read that. They have nothing else to do. <laughs> so I wrote a nice small book. People like small books. And I took all the basic art. There's no argument left out. I brought it down into very readable style for college. I, and I saw many of our young people going off to Christian colleges and coming back feminists. And now they're coming back with gay marriage and all this. It's unbelievable. But anyway, that's what that book is for. So it's great to give to young people or do a young people study with it. Now, let's uh, take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. What a wonderful book the book of Hebrews is. And uh, people often uh, struggle with, uh, is the Bible a supernatural book written by um, the Holy Spirit of God? Is it the actual words and sentences and paragraphs of God? All scripture is breathed out by God and thus profitable for teaching and correcting, training in righteousness 
How can we test that if if it's true? I'll give you the best test there is. Read it. Read it. No one would ever write anything like this. Now, I've read all the second century writers. As soon as you enter the second century and you read Ignatius or you read Clement of Rome, any of them, you'll immediately sense how hollow and frivolous and sometimes stupid the things. Read Paul and you'll see this is on a divine level. It's its own proof. Its own self-claim is it's breathed out by God. Thus says the Lord 1,200 times in the first five books. But how would we test that? Read it. You will not read anything like Paul and Peter and James. You will not. And compare it to other writings. Now, the book of Hebrews, a magnificent book. So deep, so deep. So, will you stand with me as we read Hebrews chapter 10? And we will start at uh, verse uh, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering, this was the problem in these churches, for he who promised is faithful. In other words, everything we know about the Lord, all his promises, you can just rest. Take your time. Trust in it. It will be faithfully executed. And let us consider. Now, note that word consider. How to stir up. Note that word carefully. We're going to come back to it. One another to love and good works. Now, here's the opposite side. Not neglecting to meet together. That's not love. And you won't get any exhortation that way. As is the habit of some. All right, there it is. We found out that some of the Christians weren't even meeting with other Christians. They were going backward. Uh, In the fifth chapter, he says, you become dull of hearing. Very serious charge. But encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why don't you pray silently for the Lord to speak to you? Amen. All right, you may be seated. Now, we're shifting subjects. You have an outline in front of you. You're not going to take any notes. You're just going to sit and relax and enjoy. And if you need a little nap, just take a little nap. I don't mind. You'll wake up soon. Now, our, uh, our subject is how to cultivate love. Now, that's the big subject. I laid the foundation, but now we want to do, talk about how do, you, how do you actually do this? We don't want to just be theoreticians. We want to be practitioners. How to cultivate love. Now, the Lord rebuked the church in Ephesus with the strongest possible warning. And here's what we learned. A church can work hard fight heresy, persevere, teach sound doctrine, and yet, because of lack of love, be in danger of divine discipline. No matter how impressive a church may seem, magnificent buildings, huge congregation, large staff, big budget, dynamic teaching, outstanding missions program, awesome music, and still be dying of lack of love. The thing be hollow inside, just religious motions. It's a man I knew for many years, a traveling evangelist, was a black evangelist. And I, uh, he would tell me the churches he went. And I'd say, well, how is it there? He said, oh, going through the motions. Just going through the motions. Yeah, like dumb sheep, we can just go through the motions. But really, the heart of the matter is not there. So, we learn that love is vital to the spiritual health, not only of the individual, but of the corporate body, and essential 
to our Lord's plan for his church as we build each other up in love, as Paul says, Ephesians 4, 16. We build each other up in love. Without love, we don't build each other up. We tear each other down and we just do our own thing. So every single individual believer needs to be concerned about cultivating love. Cultivate love in your own life. Cultivate love in your marriage and cultivate love in the church. Don't give up. I really think at a certain point in the Christian life, maybe you're around 40 years of age or 50, you give up. You just say, ah, it all is the same. As uh, Solomon said, meaningless, meaningless. All things are just striving after wind. You just say it all happens somehow. No, there are major uh, doctrines that we need to all our life be energetic about and concerned about. And here's one. We should be concerned about this marvelous fruit of the Spirit, this divine virtue which will abide forever, it will be in heaven, and that is love. How do we cultivate love? Now, I want you to notice the direct commands we have in Scripture. For example, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love, pursue love. Now, that word is a very strong word. Some of your old translations say follow. That's really weak. It's pursue like a hunter pursues an animal. Very strong term. Pursue love. And then, Jude 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's, divine, that's a human side. That's the human divine. There's always the human divine sides to things. But here's the human element. Keep yourselves in the love of God. There is a human effort. Now, that effort is not made alone. We have the grace of God and we have the Holy Spirit of God. God does not command us to do things that he doesn't provide the power to do it. And then lovely verse. Abide in Christ's love. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Remain in Christ's love. Now, with that, it's Christ's love, not our love. Christ loves us. He couldn't have done possibly more for us. Now, remain in that. Abide in it. Enjoy it. Rest in it. Learn more about it. Abide in Christ's love. Nothing more encouraging than to know you are loved with an everlasting love. John 15, 9. And then Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love as Christ loved. Walk, walk means it's a metaphor for live, behavior, lifestyle, live in love. But it's as Christ love, it's Christ-like love. In other words, we're copycats, we're imitators. We imitate Christ in his love. Now, our passage, our passage, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Now, let's go back to it. I want you to notice what the writer says. Let us consider. Do you see that word consider? That has the idea of think. Good thing to think. God made us thinking creatures. Now, one of my children caught a turtle. My grandchildren caught a turtle. And we have this turtle now we've adopted. It's a lovely box turtle. When I was a child, I used to collect box turtles from in the woods. And there's so much fun for the children. I see them playing with it all the time. But you know, turtles don't think... They go bury themselves under the sand. They just sit there all day. One sat there a day and a half. I mean, what do you do under the sand for a day and a half? They don't have television. We've been made to be thinking creatures. It's one of the marvels of the divine image. And not only can we think, we can think the most incredible abstract uh, thoughts possible. We can think of divine things. 
uh, sometimes we get a little tired of people thinking about whether God did this and God did that, election, non-election, all these things. But think of it this way, that our minds can even think these great thoughts. It's a wonderful gift from God. It's part of being made in his image. We can think and think so deeply. And God wants us to think. I believe one of the great problems of modern culture is that we're amusing ourselves to death. And there's a book called that, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Please be very careful of this. Um, we have our grandchildren off, o- over very, very often, like daily. And uh, they like free food, I think. And uh, I, I have to talk to them very sternly about they'll get on a computer and they'll sit on there for hours. One time I visited a man. And uh, I stayed at his house for the weekend and was preaching on his church. And I got there somewhere about three in the afternoon. So he took me downstairs in the basement where I was going to stay. It was sort of a dungeon sort of a place. And when I got down there, his son was uh, around three in the afternoon playing games on the computer. And I said hi to him. We're talking. So I got all impacted and everything. And then we went out to eat. And then we had the meetings in the evening, went out after the meetings. It's amazing. I don't weigh 500 pounds. And I got home about 10.30. Here he was playing games on the computer. I said, what are you, you've been doing this all night? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I go to bed. About 2 or 3 in the morning, I wake up to go to the bathroom, and I go up. Here he is playing on, on the computer still. I go back to bed. He played for 13 hours on the computer. Now, his father was very wrong to allow that. Should not allow that. Because it's highly addictive. He's, amuse, he's uh, amusing himself to death. Now, we should muse, think, but amuse, not think. So I want to warn you about technology causing us not to think. It is a wonderful thing to think. Think deep thoughts after God. He gave us his word to dig deep into it, like the Bereans who searched the scriptures daily to check out the Apostle Paul. And we are to test the spirits, not just believe everything. The worst thing you can be is a gullible Christian. So test the spirits. You hear something, be a Berean. Go to the word of God. I don't see it there. Question people. Question anything I say here. I'm, I'm inviting you. Anything I say you don't agree with, you question me. God's in heaven, not here on earth. So, notice what the writer says. Let's think. Let us consider. Let's, uh, let's do some brainstorming. Let's get together. Let's think about this. Let's plan. Let's strategize. How can we stir up one another to love? Well, that's what this conference is about. We're going to think how... To stir up one another to love. Now, some of your translations, the older translations said, provoke one another to love. Now, I've told you about Mr. Chapman. He was called the Apostle of Love in his day. And I do want you to get that book. If you're poverty-stricken, I will send it to you free. Absolutely. And uh, Mr. Chapman would never speak evil of any man. Uh, he was such an unusually balanced man. He, he's been a model. We need a model. He has been a model for me as an earthly man. So anyway, one day someone asked Mr. Chapman about his dear friend, Mr. Hake. And uh, they said to Mr. Chapman, how is Mr. Hake, your good friend? Oh, oh, he said, he's been provoking me all day. Ooh, the man thought that's so out of character with Mr. Chapman to speak evil of his, his dear friend. Oh, yes, Mr. Chapman went on. He's been provoking me to love and good works. So. Can you provoke people? Oh, yes, you can. Can you stir them up? Oh, yes, you can. The Bible says it. You just tell them. I'm provoking you to love and good works. So, 
you can stimulate people to love. You can stir people up to love. You can provoke them to love. So, we're just going to do now, this afternoon, what the writer of Hebrews says. Strategize. Think about, how am I going to provoke my family to more love and good works? How am I going to provoke my children and grandchildren? How are we in the local assembly going to provoke the whole assembly to new heights of love? Well, let's talk about that because that's what the text says. Think about it. Consider it. How will we do this? So I've listed, I don't remember, five. I don't even, I have to look at my own notes here. Five or six ways. I think it's six ways. Well, you're not taking notes, so don't write that down. (laughs) Confused. Preacher, confused. Preacher ate too much. Too much coffee. Something like that. All right. How are we going to do this? All right, number one, number one, study love. In thinking, actually, I actually did think this through. How would we do this? So I'm just telling you my musings on this. We have to start out with study love. Since the love we seek is the imitation of Christ's love, there can be no better starting point than with God's book. Because it's God's kind of love that we want. We don't want Hollywood love. You know what that's like? Here today, gone tomorrow. It's all about me, me, me. You ever see these Hollywood stars they marry? I wonder, what are they marrying for? They're always breaking up the next year. How could people who are perversely selfish ever marry? They can't get along with themselves. They're no longer another human being. And they dump all these children. What do they care about anything but how good they look and their their newest... uh, movie and how much money they're making. They're, they're literally perversely selfish. That's Hollywood love. We don't care about that. It, it's actually very destructive and shallow and hollow. We're looking at divine love as it is defined by the very God who is love. And the only reason there is love in the human race is because as part of bearing the divine image, we're not roadkill on the side of the road. You know what we do with roll kill? We just throw it to the side or throw it in a truck and take it away. But isn't it interesting? Ecclesiastes says he has built eternity into our hearts. Yes, we know we're eternal creatures. We know that. And we know every individual life is of infinite value. You ever get on the highway and all of a sudden the traffic stops dead and you hear on the radio there's a serious accident ahead? Let me tell you what I do. First thing to do is pray. That God will use that accident to save people and and have mercy on the people. But here's a great thought. If that was you lying on the road, and this happened to me in California uh, near uh, Sacramento. I was driving on the highway, and we were pretty close to the beginning of the accident. And a van went over and threw people right into the highway. They were laying all over the highway. We were right there. It was horrible, a horrible thing. People sitting up, they were dazed. Whether some of them lived, I don't know. But here's a great thought. If that was me lying out on the highway, wouldn't I want the entire traffic to stop so I could be cared for first? So think of it that way. Yes, it's a a burden to be caught in a traffic accident. But then pray, Lord, use that accident. Use the ambulance driver. Use the fire department. It's all common grace that God has given to save people. And those people lying on the highway need your help now. So think of it in terms of mercy. Uh, And that's because we believe... We believe we're not roadkill. We are of infinite value. And that's why we stop. And that's why they come first. 
because they have that kind of value. We're not just junk in the garbage can or grass mowed over by a lawnmower. So what about this word love? What about it? Well, there's only one definition we want. It's God's. And I'm going to show you. He gives us a real clear definition. Now, if you want to study love, um, I would suggest several ways of do it in just a moment. But I want to remind you that in the English Standard Version, the word love appears over 1,000 times. Now, it only appears a thousand times, but there are many, many passages like the whole book of Hosea where love may not even be mentioned, but the whole book's about love. Or the beginning of Genesis, God gave him the, the plants to eat and the trees. That's his love. He supplied everything Adam and Eve need, needed. So there are many, many illustrations and marvelous illustrations of love where the word love is not recorded. Now, we would expect Love to be a vast subject of the Bible because God is love. The Bible is God's book. Did you know it was God's book? Did you know it's the best-selling book in the whole world? The number one selling book in the world was uh, uh, Mao Zedong's um, uh, quotations from Chairman Mao. Now, it's not really fair saying it's the best-selling book because people had to force to buy it. But the greatest-selling book in the world, it has no uh, uh, competitors, is the Bible, over 7 billion copies. And people voluntarily buy it, by the way. They're not forced to or get, you know, be shot if you don't read this book. It's God's book. God wrote it. Do you know that it should be on the New York Times best-selling list every year, but they don't put it on there? Do you know why? Because it's the best-selling book every year. It gets boring after a while. Oh, the Bible again. Oh, the Bible again. Every, every week, every month. So they just don't put it on there. But someone's book gets on there, you know, the president writes a book and it gets, oh, man, it sold 100,000 copies. Yeah, but the Bible just sold uh, billions of copies. And it's in uh, some parts of it in over 2,000 languages. It's God's book. He's the author, definer. And if you want to know about love, real love, not this phony baloney love of this world's lust, you've got to go to the source. And the source is God's book. It's the greatest treasure he's given to us outside of his son. He gave us a book. And how we neglect this book so often. It should be our, our daily food. Job said it's a, a greater treasure than gold. Now, if you want to pursue love, if you want to stir people up to love, you must start with what God says in his wonderful book. You must study love. So let me tell you a great story. And if you've heard it, you'll enjoy it again. Deal Moody was considered in his century the greatest evangelist of his day. They say, now remember, there's no radio, there's no cars, there's no airplanes, that he spoke to over 100 million people. It's hardly believable, considering uh, how hard it was to um, travel in his day. There was no planes crossing the ocean in six hours. You went by ship. And uh, in many ways, he was greater than Billy Graham, although Billy Graham has been greatly used of God to speak to millions upon millions of people. But Mr. Moody was not a great Bible student, and he only preached on judgment. One time he was in Ireland, he met this young man named Henry Moorhouse, who was called the boy evangelist. Now, he was only a couple years younger than Moody, but he only came up to Moody's shoulder, and he had a baby face uh, look, and, and Mr. Moody was a huge man with a big chest and a big beard, looked sort of like a caveman. And... 
Mr. Morehouse, uh, uh, Moody had heard about him, the boy evangelist, said, when I come to America, I want to come and preach in your church, Moody Church. And Moody, without thinking what he was saying, said, sure, when you come to America, preach. He said he'd never see him again. In fact, Moody admits when he first met Morehouse, he didn't like him. Well, lo and behold, Henry Morehouse shows up in the United States and calls on Mr. Moody to come preach at his church. So Mr. Moody didn't know what to do because he was actually leaving town. So Mr. Moody said to the deacons, he said, now, listen, this boy wants to preach at our church. I'm sorry I even promised it, but I did promise him. Let him speak on Wednesday night at the prayer meeting. And they had Friday night prayer meeting, special Saturday meetings. If he's any good, let him come back on Friday night. I have to leave town. I'll be back Sunday. So that Wednesday night, uh, uh, Morehouse spoke at the church, and he opened to John 3.16, and the congregation was nearly brought to tears with God so loved the world, and he preached from Genesis to Revelation on God's love for Israel and God's love for his people. Well, the deacons thought, man, this guy's good. We'll have a Friday night meeting. Friday night, they doubled and tripled the number. Second night, priest on John 3.16. God so loved the world. The, elder, the deacons called a, a third meeting, a special meeting on Saturday night. The place was packed. Word got out. This guy's incredible. He's a wonderful preacher. Third night, people came. John 3.16. God so loved the world. And he took them from Genesis to Revelation. He showed them story after story where the word love is not used, but to prove the extent of God's love for his creation. So the deacon said, yeah, he can preach Sunday morning. Moody got back that night, late Saturday night, and said to his wife, how's that boy preacher? She said, well, you know, I'm going to let you hear him. He packed the house out on Saturday night. Sunday morning came. The place was jammed. He got up to speak. He said, I can think of no greater text than John 3.16. Sunday morning he preached. Moody said later that it brought him to tears. He said, I knew God loved me, but I didn't know how much he loved me. That evening, they had him speak again. Got up to speak. John 3.16. Gave them a full banquet of the word of God. They saw verses they never saw before. But something happened at Moody Church that day. For the first time, people carried their Bibles. They never carried their Bibles. But with, uh, with Henry Moorhouse, he was taking them back and forth, back and forth, all over the scripture, showing them of the immensity of God's love. And Moody says later, and I'm going to read a statement by Moody, that it was a love revival in their church. It was a full-blown revival. And then Monday night, Tuesday night, they couldn't get the people. Have you ever been to Moody Church? You know how big it is. Seven Straight messages. Last night came. Everyone's wondering, what is he going to speak about? That last night, he says, I can think of no better text than John 3.16. Seven straight messages on John 3.16. Now, Henry Morehouse was a little man compared to Moody, but he was not a little man inside. He was a very courageous man. He had no fear of Moody. And he rebuked Mr. Moody that week. He says, you... Do not preach from the Bible enough. You preach in stories. You only preach on hell. That's half the message. And as a result of Henry Morehouse, Mr. Moody started to study his Bible much more. People started carrying their Bibles, and he started, this great evangelist started to preach more Bible-centered messages, and people saw a great change. You can read this in his biography. 
in Mr. Moody. As a result of the challenge of Henry Morehouse, Moody started to study love. He never preached on love once, only on hell and judgment. I want to read to you what D.L. Moody says as a result of Henry Morehouse. Listen carefully. I took up the word love. I do not know how many weeks I spent in studying the passages in which it occurs, till at last I could not help loving people. I had been feeding on love so long, I was anxious to do everyone good I came in contact with. I got full of it. Love ran out of my fingers. Now the challenge. Are you listening? You take up the subject of love in the Bible. You take up the subject of love in the Bible. You will get so full of it that all you have got to do is open your lips and a flood of the love of God flows out upon the meeting. There is no use trying to do church work without love. And this now becomes his very famous statement. A doctor, a lawyer, may do good work without love. But God's work cannot be done without love. God's work cannot be done without love. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Love is something that can be contemplated. If love does not make you think, it is not love. It is purely physical instinct. Love enjoys ruminating, dwelling upon, looking at, dissecting, analyzing, considering. Love is to be studied. And the more you study it, the more you will enjoy it. So, study love. Now, how do we study love? Well, let me give you two ways you can do this. One is the simple way. And uh, if you, you'll be getting this book free from this church, the only church in the world that gives free books away. At the back of that book, I list the 50 top passages from both the Old and New Testament. You can go through those passages very carefully, and you will get a nice sampling from the whole of Scripture of the demands of love, which you may never have known, of the quality of love, the degree of love, the extent of love, so that you will ruminate, and you will think and analyze and assess what the Bible says about love. Now, here's another way you can study love, and it's the way I did it for this book. You have your regular Bible reading, don't you? You should be reading the Bible. And uh, what you could do is start in Genesis. Take two years to do this, three years. It doesn't matter. Time goes quickly. You know that. And read through your Bible, study love. So any act of love, even if the word is not there, any act of love, if you have a computer, if not, use paper, start putting the verses down and start putting them in categories. I'll give you categories in a moment. Go through the Bible, and you will start seeing patterns. Now, this is the way I always do for when I'm writing a book. I go through the whole of the Bible, and I start putting verses in categories, so I start to see the big picture. Not just the little picture, the big picture, how the little and the big fit together. So you go through the whole of Scripture, and here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be shocked. You're going to say this. I never knew the Bible said all that about love. I never knew this. 
I knew it said good things about love, but I didn't know the demands of love. I didn't know what God really even meant by love when the children of Israel literally shook their fists in his face and how he kept his covenantal love for them. It's amazing. So you get categories. Here's a category. God is love. Many stories that show God is love. The Father's love for the Son. That's one of my favorite, John 17. The Father's love for the Son. It's an eternal love. Before the angels were created, before the planets were created, Jesus said, the Father loved me. And then, in John, he tells us that we have been called into that love circle. The Son's love for the Father. How about the Holy Spirit in love? God's love for Israel. Many verses on that. God's unfailing love. Many verses on that. Jesus Christ's love for his people. The believer's love for God. The believer's love for Christ. The believer's love for other believers. Many verses on that. The believer's love for the lost. Love relationships among people. Husband, wife, child, parent, friends, leader, follower. Because did you know that we who have elders over us are commanded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 12, and 13? Love them for their work's sake. You say, but they're not very lovable. Well, for their work's sake, love them. So we're commanded to love our leaders, and our leaders are to love us. The commands of love, the nature of love, the importance of love, love and prayer, love and obedience. These are topics. So in your Bible reading over the next couple of years, start writing down these verses, and you will be amazed. And then you will start to see God's concept of love, And you will see that we have all fallen very short on what God wants of us. Now, that's one way you can do it uh, uh, personally. But then I want to suggest this, that you have a Bible study on love with other people. Now, the fact is this. It's just a fact of life. Spiritual things are hard after the fall. That's why Adam and Eve ran and hid. We've been hiding ever since. And you know this is true. For example... If I asked you to read your Bible today, after about a half hour, you're worn out. Oh, my neck. Oh, my eyes. I think I'm bleeding. My back. My back. I've been reading the Bible for a half hour. Oh, man. I'm exhausted. Isn't that true? But then you will watch a three and a half hour football game and think nothing of it. You will rent a, a DVD and you'll see two in the night. You'll think nothing of it. But try to pray for 15 minutes. If you could, 15 minutes, it sounds like eternity. That's why we need group studies and group prayer meetings, because alone, most of us will not do this. So we need prayer meetings and we need Bible studies because it forces us to do what we wouldn't do. I'll give you an example. The ladies in our church, Thursday mornings, they're big study, but they have others. But this year, they've been uh, going through, uh, they're two years through the whole Bible. And I've been watching my wife and my daughters. I mean, they are putting hours of study in. There's no way they would do this on their own. It's not possible. They're too busy, but they're forced to because they've got to show up for the Bible study. And uh, the other ladies are very demanding on them, which is good. They break into small groups. You, you know, know, know that you've done the sub- subject or you're, you're excommunicated from the church. In love. <laughs> And I said to my wife one time, I said, that's why we have Bible studies, because you're not going to do this unless there's a group accountability and you have to meet together and do this. So uh, if you meet as a group and you have a Bible study, you can have the whole church do this. You could take Love or Die or Leading with Love. Bible studies are right there. And you go through the book. 
and you will get everyone studying this together. So I really suggest in your small groups or in your church that you have some kind, at least once in the history of your church, where the church studies together what the Bible says about love. And what I will say to you is this. You may experience a revolution of love. And I've seen it happen. There was a church... They called it Summer of Love, and it was a church that identified that our love is waning. Our love is growing cold. And so for a little over three months, through the summer months, they took every major passage on love, every major passage, and they preached through it for the summer. And the church said to me, there was a revolution of love. Because the people did not, we assumed they knew all these things, the 15 descriptions of love, the greatest commitment. We assumed they knew these things, and they really didn't. So you could have a revolution, a revival of love. In fact, I would pray for a revival of love. Most churches desperately need a true revival of love. So, study love. Study love. All right, second, second, pray for love. Now, I'm not making these things up. I'm not that clever. This is in the Bible. I just, I read it. We're commanded to pray about love. One reason we see so little growth in love in our churches is because we exert so little effort in praying about it. We are naturally selfish people who simply cannot, at least in our own strength, walk in love as Christ loved. So we must pray about this and ask for the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. George Mueller said this, that great man of prayer, the great fault of the children of God is they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. Just keep praying. Persevere. Fast. Pray until you get it. So, if you want a revival of love, pray until you get it. We know it's God's will. That's no no-brainer. Now, the New Testament provides examples of prayer for growth in love. And so let's look at these real quickly right now because I promise you we will stop before 8 o'clock tonight. And I always keep my promise. If you have your notes in front of you, pray to know Christ's love. Pray to know Christ's love. I believe one of the greatest prayers in the New Testament is right there in Ephesians chapter 3, where we ask for God to enable believers only by the Holy Spirit's power to grasp the vast, incomprehensible nature of Christ's love. Now, let me read this to you to save time, and I'm going to skip some parts of it. Listen carefully as I read this to you. This is an apostolic prayer. It is a prayer for all the churches of Jesus Christ. So you're on safe ground praying this prayer. I bow my knees before the Father, that he... Now, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. This is his prayer for you, Gentiles. That he may grant you to be strengthened. In other words, you need enablement to do this. That he will strengthen with power through his spirit in your inner being that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. In other words, you cannot do this alone. What is the breadth and the length and the height 
and the depths of Christ's love. And to know the love of Christ, oxymoron, that surpasses knowledge. There's an apostolic prayer, and here's the prayer, that you can grasp the immensity and the incomprehensible nature of Christ's love for you. It surpasses knowledge. Now, this is not just a prayer for intellectual knowledge. It is that. It's a prayer for direct knowledge, experiential knowledge, direct knowledge, transforming knowledge. It's not just, oh, yeah, I know that. No, it's that it will grip you, change you. You'll, and I know some of you may not like this word, experience it. You are to experience the love of Christ so that it's transforming in your life. You cannot go wrong praying this prayer for yourself and for your missionaries and for your children, that they will have some realization of this surpassing love of Christ. It's not our love. It's his love for us. How much he loves us. And that's what Moody said. After seven messages on John 3.16, Moody said, and he said, I couldn't hold back the tears. He said, I knew God loved me, but I didn't know the extent of his love for me. That's what this prayer is saying. That you'll know the extent and, and know it in a most personal, direct way. C.T. Studd captures this, the pioneer missionary to China, India, and Africa. He said this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. That's that's exactly what Paul said. John Stott wrote it this way. The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. And I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says this. We must never fail... In our, we must never fall into, excuse me, we must never fall into the error of imagining that because we are Christians, we therefore know all about the love of God. Most of us are but as children paddling at the edge of an ocean. There are abysmal depths to the love of God of which we know nothing. The apostle is praying that these Ephesians and we with them may go out into the depths and the deeps and discover things which we have never even imagined. That's his prayer. You can't go wrong with this prayer. Pray it for your church when you have your church prayer meetings that we'll grasp. That's why we have the Lord's Supper, the elements. What do we do in the elements? Jesus didn't say, remember my miracles. He said, remember my death, because in his death is the greatest display of total selfless, self-sacrificing love ever made to humanity. God in Christ atoned for our sins at a cost that's unimaginable. You think you grasp that? It will take eternity to grasp that. You can sing of this great love. I think of that beautiful hymn, More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make. Notice, the prayer I make. On bended need, this is my earnest plea. 
More love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee. More love to thee. Once earthly joys I craved, sought peace and rest. Now thee alone I seek. Give what is best. This all my prayer will be. More love, O Christ, to thee. You know, we can sing of Christ's love. Did you know that? We can sing of it. The psalmist says, come into his presence with singing. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. Another psalm. I will sing of the steadfast love forever. Ever. So the psalmist tells us several times, sing of his love. Sing of his love. It's a good way to get to know it. It's a prayer to God. All right, second, second. Pray to love others more. So the first uh, prayer request is to uh, enter into the true depths of God's love displayed in Christ. Can I tell you one story just before I go to this? Because it's a beautiful story. During the Napoleon Wars, uh, they broke into some of the dungeons in Spain that were built for the Inquisition. And uh, in one of the dungeons, they, they opened it up, had it been opened up many, many years. Here was a Christian soldier who had died in a dungeon, and all that was left was his skeleton that was chained to the wall, a rock wall. And the interesting thing is this. When they broke into this prison, the French, they saw that this prisoner who had been there for many years scratched into the stone a cross. And on the top of the cross, it said, the height. At the bottom of the cross in Spanish, the depth. And then to the right, the length. To the left of the cross, the breadth. The height, the depth, the length, the breadth of the love of Christ. Do you know, often in suffering, we get to know it. And here was a man dying for Christ, and he understood the height, the depth, the length, the breadth of the love of Christ. I think sometimes we're so busy with our lives, we never stop to think of it. Now, the next we are to pray about love for others. This, again, is scriptural. Love is not a static thing. It's a dynamic thing. Love is to be increasing, not diminishing. And Paul specifically prays that love will be growing, overflowing to one another and all people. So let's listen to 1 Thessalonians 3.12. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. This is a prayer. It's called, usually called a prayer wish. May the Lord make you, did you hear that? May the Lord make you, we've got to have God's help, just like in Ephesians 3, to increase and abound in love for one another and all people as we do for you. So the idea here is like you have a big hose and you have a barrel here and, and you take the hose, and you put it in the barrel so it increases, increases, increases. But then you leave the hose in and it, it, it abounds. It just keeps abounding and abounding. She says, I want your love for one another and for all people, save and unsave alike, to not only increase, but to abound and continually abound, just like ours does for you. And then uh, Philippians 1.9, it is my prayer, notice again, it's a prayer, that your love may abound more and more. 
increasing love. Now, do you see why the situation in Ephesus was so serious? Their love wasn't abounding more and more. It wasn't overflowing. It was going backwards. It was decreasing, shriveling up. And then Jude 2, may love be multiplied to you. God's favorite mathematics is multiplication. He said to Adam and Eve, multiply. So, may love be multiplied to you. These spirit-inspired prayers are wonderful models of prayer for us. So, we are to see continual increase and abounding more and more in love. Listen to what he writes to the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were experiencing first love. They hadn't gotten to the point where it started to wane yet. Brand new believers. So brand new believers are excited about the Lord. Their love is increasing and multiplying. So he says this to these Christians who are experiencing first love. He says, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. He didn't say, boy, you guys got a lot of love. Don't worry about it. You got a lot of love. You got more loving church than I've ever seen. No, 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 no. He says to them, may it increase more and more. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, he says this, the love of every one of you to one another is increasing. It is increasing, the love for each one of you. Vine and Hogg, in their commentary on Thessalonians, says this, the Christian may not rest in any measure of attainment. A huge problem we have. We get to the point and say, I've learned enough. A Christian may not rest in any measure of attainment, however, but must always be stretching out after a closer approximation to the standard, which is Christ. In other words, don't rest on your laurels. Don't say, I've got, I've got so much love. No, no, no. He says, don't ever rest on your attainments. Keep stretching out, stretching out. Now, the reason we can stretch out in love and overflow in love is that the love we're talking about is a fruit, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. And my dear friends, you may not know this, but the Holy Spirit doesn't run out of love. He increases and abounds in love. It's infinite love. And it's that love that is to increase more and more and abound. In the church of Ephesus, however, the love was shriveling and dying out. And they were self-satisfied about it. Instead of love growing, it was decreasing. Let me tell you a story. This was told by a preacher who I know very well, and I heard the story myself. It's a little ridiculous, but he admits it's ridiculous. This preacher says when he was a very young man in his early 20s, um, he and his wife had their first child. They'd been married two years and didn't have a child, and finally they have a child. And it was a little girl. When, after they had that child, he just couldn't love that child enough. Carried the child's picture with him wherever he went. When he came home at night, he wanted to feed the child, wanted to change the child, play with the child. And even, he just loved that little girl. And I know that little girl. She's a big girl today. And he said, I just loved her to pieces. I never knew the love I had inside of me for this little girl. So one day his wife said to him, you know, we need to have another child. Oh, he said, we can't have another child. I have no more love in me. I'm loved out. I love this child so much, another child will be neglected. I will not be able to love another child like this. I just have so much love. I told you it's a ridiculous story. 
Well, you know, as women often do win out, they had a second child, a boy. And he loved that little boy. He loved that little boy just as much as he loved that little girl. He carried that little boy's picture. Now he had two pictures. He came home at night and fed that boy. He put that boy to bed. He bathed that little boy. He put them both to bed. He loved reading Bible stories to them. He loved those two children. And he was shocked at how much love he had for those children. So after several years, his wife said, we need to have another child. Oh, he said, I just can't have another child. There is no more love in me. I'm, I'm just spent. I'm spent. There's no way I could get up enough love for another child. I just can't even imagine it. Well, they had a third child, another boy. And the third child, he discovered something. You don't run out of love. How can a Christian run out of love when the love is from the Holy Spirit? Now, when the Holy Spirit runs out of love, then you will run out of love. But it's the first Fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul could say, and love all people, love one another, but, and all people. Did you know you can love this world? You can love your enemy? You can love the unlovely? You can love people who smell, people who are so dumb you wonder how they even exist in life, people who make mistake after mistake and the same mistakes for 30 years, and you go, what is wrong with those people? But you can love them because it is of the Holy Spirit, is the fruit, it is the result of the Spirit's love because the Spirit is God. And God is love. The Spirit is love. The Son is love. And so in the Christian life, our capacity to love is immense. And that's why Paul could say that it would abound and it would overflow and it would increase more and more because that's what God wants of us, to abound in love. Now, next we see here, Praying strengthens love relationships. Praying strengthens love relationships. Now, in relationships, communication is essential to a healthy relationship. And those we love, we want to be near. That's the very essence of love, to be near those you love and to speak with those who are in love. You ever see a, a young couple, there's a young couple, and they're in love. They just met each other, and now they're madly. Ever, ever watch them? Just watch this. They're just like this with each other. Come up, come up here. Steve, come on. Come on, come on. Quick, 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 quick. They're just, you know, just, just face to face. Just like, no, no. No, no. I'm not in love with you. Okay. Listen. And they're just there. And what are they doing? They've cut everybody out. I just saw this recently in our church with a young couple. I said to my wife, you got to see this. And they're saying, cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. They want to be close. They want to be near. And they just talk and talk and talk. Love strengthens relationships. The Lord Jesus loved the Father. And what was he characterized by? Prayer. Christ was a man of prayer. Remember uh, uh, Mark chapter 1? Now, remember, these, many of these men are fishermen, professional fishermen. 
Now, they're not like city folk, like to sleep at 8 o'clock in the morning. They're fishermen. They're up before dawn, out working. They get up, the Bible says, very early, before dawn, and they discovered something. The Lord wasn't there. Now, they didn't know him well enough yet. They will know him later. Where was he? He was out. He was up before dawn, and he was praying. He was a man of prayer. Why? Because he says, I love the Father. And because he loved the Father, he wanted to chit-chat, chat-chat-chat, talk and be near him. And uh, they, the Bible says they actually looked for him, and then finally they found him. And he says, well, we've got to move now. It's time to go. They were all confused. I talked to the Father, and he said, it's time to move on. Now, here's a victory. You come to Acts chapter 6, verse 4, and the apostles say this. We must devote ourselves. And it's a very strong word. It's a single-minded activity. We must devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Where did they learn that? From the master. He was a man of prayer. But why did he pray? It strengthened his relationship with the father. He drew close to God, entered very often into his presence. And that's what we have in Hebrews 4.16. We have this in Hebrews 10.19, where we're invited to come into his presence with boldness, often come to the throne of grace in the time of need. What happens when we have a problem? Well, the first thing we do is we run to the phone and tell our friends of all the problems we have and all those people who have hurt my feelings. Then we run down to the donut shop or hotels and we have a cup of coffee and we eat five donuts. Then maybe we have a little pie and um, we take our sorrows out on our eating. Isn't that not true? Go tell everyone, complain to everyone else. Why don't you the next time you've been hurt or wounded, whatever happens to you, Don't tell anybody. Go to the Father. Deal with it with the Lord. You know, we're all quick. We're all quick, and I include myself, to put people down. Well, D.A. Carson says, if you're going to put people down, put them on your prayer list. Put them down on your prayer list. The next time you're angry at someone, start praying for them, and you will find... God will deal with your anger and your unforgiveness. Guarantee you. I've learned this. Every time I get mad at someone, if I pray for them, that's if I got the courage. If I pray for them, the Lord convicts me. And I'm repenting. Now, praying strengthens love relationship. You want to strengthen your relationship with God? Pray. Doesn't have to even be formal prayer. Just talk to him all the time. You're reading your Bible? Talk to him. You read a verse. Say, Lord, I want this to be true in my life. You're listening to this sermon right now? Be talking to your father right now. We had a man in our church. He was mentally ill. I mean, he was ill. He was on all government disabilities. I mean, he was way out there in outer space. But he got saved, and it taught me that even if you're mentally ill and seriously ill, you still can get saved, and the Holy Spirit can still work in you. It doesn't mean you're going to be healed, but it means that the Spirit of God is not uh, frustrated that you don't have any of your faculties to function much. So, in fact, the first time I met this man, he had a gun in the car because he thought I was going after his wife because his wife got saved first and we're trying to get her to go along the Christian life. And so when I met him, he had a shotgun in the car because he thought I'm stealing his wife. 
I didn't want to steal his wife anyway. So anyway, uh, this guy gets saved, and we had a lot of problems, but there was something beautiful about him. He made us laugh all the time. He was, he was out there, but he would talk like this. I talked to Dad today, and I'm wondering, who's Dad? I talked to Dad today, and I think I better change here. I realize he's talking about God, and he got onto the thing that God is his father. So he'd say, I talked to Dad about this today. It was so cute that I started to realize this guy's got an intimate relationship with God. And he calls him dad. I'm not advising you to do that. But it was so beautiful that dad had talked to him and and, and dad told him that he needs to start listening to the elders instead of telling us what to do all the time and straightening us out all the time. So if you have to talk to dad, talk to him. Because I'll tell you, as a dad and a grandfather, I love it when my children talk to me. It would be horrible if the only time they talked to me was about a week before Christmas and they want to let me know what they want for Christmas. I would say, you rotten kids, I'm not getting you anything. I'm cutting you out of the will. They're not getting anything anyway, but I'm cutting you out of the will. So it's so threatening, you know. We're cut out of the will. Did you know that? Yeah, there's nothing there. Oh, okay. Who cares? Ah, we don't care. What if the only time we talk to our father or our grandfather is when we want something? How about talking to him and say, I just love uh, that you love me so much and that I can come into your presence. Well, Hebrews invites us into this intimate relationship. And this is how you build love. You draw near. You come into his presence. And it is the way we love others. How do we love others? Pray for them. That's the greatest way you can love others. In fact, the Lord said, when you're persecuted, when your enemy is against you, how do you love an enemy? How do you do that? When someone you can't stomach, how do you do that? Jesus tells us, pray for them. Pray for your enemy. Pray for your persecutor. That's how you will love them. It's not some theoretical thing. Work up a bunch of emotions. You don't love people who kill you. Unless you're a normal person. But you pray for them. That's how you display love. One of the greatest things you can do for the body of Christ is the ministry of intercession. So you say you love the church, but you never pray for it. You know what Paul says? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Pray for all the saints. Pray for all the saints. He means that literally, by the way. How do you pray for all the saints? Well, he's talking about the people in your sphere. And so you have a church, you get out the church uh, 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 address book, and you, in some systematic way, work through the address book, and you pray for all the saints. And you have missionaries, you pray regularly for your missionaries, you're praying for all the saints. That is the greatest thing you can do for the saints. Can you imagine everyone in the local church praying for one another? systematically going through the church directory, praying, interceding. So very, very often on a Sunday morning when I'm in church and I've been praying for this family and I'll see the kids and I'll get down like this and I'll say, come over here, come over here. I prayed for you this week. And the kids look like, you know, what do we do wrong? No, you didn't do anything wrong. I prayed for you and your family this week. Well, you know something? 30 years from now, they're going to remember that. I prayed for you this week. And a lot of times I'll just say that to people. Or sometimes I'm praying for a family, and I know they're in trouble. I will pick up the phone and say, I just was praying for you this morning. Anything you want to add to help me have some prayer fuel? And uh, pray for all the saints. Pray for all the saints. We all have been called to the ministry of intercession. 
You ever have people come up to you and say, I don't know what to do as a Christian. I, I, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a preacher. Oh, is there anything else to do for the Lord? First of all, I want to hit him on the head, but I don't do that because I teach these lessons on love. I say, what do you mean you don't know what to do for the Lord? Well, first of all, you're a believer priest. Do you understand your high status in Christ? New position you've been elevated to? Every single believer has a ministry of prayer. So let's get you started on a ministry of prayer. How are you, how are you praying for all the saints? Well, I'm not. All right. Let me sit with you, and we're going to sit down, get your church directory out, pray for two families a day. That's all. Pray for the children. There are people, too. You go through, and you pray for them. Sunday morning, you tell people. When you hear announcements on Sunday morning, there's prayer requests or prayer requests in the bulletin. Take that home with you and mark it, because now you're going to pray. Now, I find if I don't write things down and mark them, I I, I will forget. I am not only losing my hair. I am losing my mind. I will forget. If I don't write those prayer requests down... Keep a little piece of paper like this in my pocket all the time. Keep a pen close by, unless you've got a photographic memory. Uh, mine uh, went double exposure. Uh, I will not remember. I can hear a, an important announcement on Sunday morning. Pray for so-and-so facing cancer. Oh, I'm going to pray for that. Go out that door, I'll forget. Guaranteed. Unless I write it down immediately. Carry my church bulletin home. Every single believer has the ministry of intercession for others as a priest. You are all priests unto God. You're a royal priesthood. Do you want to love people? Pray for them. You can't do anything better. All right, you're a teacher in the church. You're a leader in the church. What on whatever level, women's level, men's level, whatever level. And you do things for them. Uh, Maybe you visit them. Maybe you call them on the phone. Maybe you teach them. But there's something even more important that you're an intercessor for them. You're interceding for them. Now, remember this point. Everything we do in the Christian life is dependent on prayer. Everything. We are dealing with impossible situations. You cannot solve people's problems. You cannot communicate people enough what you want them to hear. They are dull of hearing. It bounces off their head. And, and, and scientists who have all these wonderful statistics say that 80% of what you hear now, you will forget almost immediately. I mean, it's discouraging. Why am I even wasting my time right now? I should go and uh, have some dessert and a nice cup of tea right now and, and go take a rest, of course, at 3 in the afternoon. You're going to forget this. But we pray. We pray. We're dependent on the Holy Spirit for everything we do. And when I pray for you, I'm doing the most loving act I can ever do because I am bearing you before God in prayer. That is love. Love is strengthened as we pray to God and draw near to God. Our relationship with him is strengthened. And when I am praying for you, I am drawn to you and I am doing to you a great service. When you pray for those who are preaching, you can't do anything better. You can't do anything better. That they will have the power of the spirit and that people will listen The Holy Spirit will be at work. Genuine love will display itself in prayer. It has to. Because that's the best thing I can do. It's the most loving thing I can do for you is to pray for you. So, how do we cultivate love in the church? Pray. Pray for it. Pray to grasp God's love. Pray that we'll love one another more and more because naturally we are perversely selfish. All of us. I include all of us. But I include the men even more because we men have at the root of our being self-centeredness. It's all about us. 
And that's why men are so abusive to women. It's, it's a natural male tendency to think about himself and to use the wife. But one of the greatest things I could do for my wife is to daily intercede for her, according to Ephesians 5, that she will grow and mature and flourish as a Christian and use her gifts and grow in the knowledge of God. That's the greatest thing I can do for my wife. And to pray that sincerely before God and encourage her in her growth in Christ. That's loving her. I mean, in real practical terms. Look at almost every one of Paul's epistles and look at how the epistles end. It ends like this. He'll say something like this. Pray for me. Pray for us. He actually believes that the advancement of the gospel, his work in the gospel, now listen carefully, is connected to the prayers of the saints. Check this out. The liberty in the gospel, the hindrance of the gospel, he says is directly related to their prayers. And he even says, you will help me through your prayers. You will strengthen me through your prayers. He believes that. The church at prayer is a powerful thing. You say, well, hardly any people show up. So what? But five of us there, we will prevail in prayer. Our missionaries must have us prevailing in prayer. The church must have us prevailing in prayer. The others don't want to come. That's their business. They may have perfectly good excuses, but we will prevail in prayer. Because that's the greatest thing we can do for our church. Because most things we can't do anyway. We're powerless. Unless the Holy Spirit works. Unless the Holy Spirit operates. You're just blowing into the wind. We're dealing with spiritual matters. We're dealing with, with Satan and his, and his forces. And this is interesting. In our, in our Ephesians prayer, Ephesians 6, 18 and 19, I believe one of the greatest statements on prayer that brings all the elements together in prayer in one verse It's in the context of warfare. It's not a piece of armor. Let's look at this real quickly. And we're almost done. Take a break here. Take hope. Take hope. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. I want you to notice this. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Oh, my heavens, is he a schemer or a deceiver? If you think you can out-scheme the devil, you'll learn real fast you can't. He's a mighty hunter. He's a great disputer, arguer. You're a child in his hands. Now, verse 12 explains something about the devil and about standing. For... We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You're in a cosmic war. Look at the book of Daniel. The curtain is pulled back in the book of Daniel and you see Michael the archangel. You see the demons over Persia and the demons over, over Greece. Demonic powers over these countries. Who do you think was behind World War II and, and, and Russia and uh, Stalin? Who do you think was behind them? Demonic powers. We're fighting those powers. How do you do it? You can't do it. 
You're nothing. It is by putting on the armor. You put the armor on, but now notice we're a mighty army. And then you come to verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end. Keep alert. You're in the army. You're in a war. With all perseverance, keep at it. Pray, 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 pray. Making supplication requests for all the saints. And also for me that the word may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. Contradiction there. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. In other words, pray for all the saints. Well, I'm a saint. Pray for me. But when he says pray for me, he says pray for the gospel. Make it clear. And I'll be bold. He had to ask for boldness. Now, what I'm saying to you is that when we come to the end of the book of Ephesians and we're looking at this cosmic warfare, the present darkness of this world, we put on the armor of God, but then it's prayer. We're an army of praying people. There's nothing better you can do for your church than be uh, a prayer warrior. So when people say to me, I don't know what to do, I say, you come with me. I'll show you what to do. You're going to take on your ministry of intercession for the church, the best thing you can do for the church. Start praying for the kids. Pray for the youth group in your church. Pray for your missionaries. We'll start real small and we'll build from there. Second thing you can do is you can be an encourager because every believer has been called to encourage one another until that day. So, That's your second thing. On Sunday morning, you're going to go around and encourage the musicians. You're going to find out who the Sunday school teachers are, and you're going to go encourage them, maybe send a little note to them. And wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to see every single member on Sunday morning encouraging one another? Wouldn't that be a positive place to be in instead of discouraging one another on Sunday morning? Some of us have the ministry of criticism. One lady said to me, I have the ministry of criticism. I said, you're doing very good at it. (laughs) Keep up the good work. Find another church. We don't accept that as a gift. You want to love people? You want to draw near to people? Pray for them. And let people know you're praying for them. It's not that you're breaking. People need to know. It's a very encouraging thing when a person says, I have been praying for you and your children, your family, and your job. Is there anything else I need to know? Can you imagine a church where every single member takes on the ministry of intercession for one another and takes on the ministry of encouraging and uh, provoking one another to love and good works. Can you imagine that? What a wonderful place that would be. What a positive place. What a joyous place. What a welcoming place that when people would come in here, they would say, I can feel the energy. I can feel the joy. I can feel the spirit of care and real concern and friendliness. I hear this constantly. Visit churches, going around the churches. People are so unfriendly. How can it be they go to a church and it's unfriendly? So keep encouraging one another to be friendly. When you come to church, don't just sit with your friends. Look around for new people. Look for people you don't know. Welcome them. Talk to them. How can you help them? That's love. In shoe leather. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for good words because they're your words. But we now must implement these things and do these things. Uh, Help us to this end because we often fail at these uh, basic levels. May we understand believer priesthood. May we understand our, our awesome responsibility but honor to be a priest, a royal kingly priest, with a ministry of intercession before you, before your throne, to pray for others, to care for others, 
to encourage others. May this be true in all our churches. May our churches be supernatural communities where the fruit of the Holy Spirit is being displayed day and night. Now, we pray because we need help. We need strength. We're, we, we just can't get out of looking at our own faces and thinking about our own problems and worry, worry, worry about the next day. Help us to be thinking of others. Outward looking, not inward looking. We ask these things in the name of our Lord. Amen. Now, is this about the time I was supposed to stop? I, I keep losing track of things. I don't want to make this man mad. It, it's a terrible thing to make me mad. That's right. Well, uh, what a wonderful time. Um, we're going to take a break here just in a moment. I have uh, a few announcements, though. I just want to echo what Alex has said, though. Don't leave here today without deciding to do something different. Don't leave here without some sort of action plan, even if it's just I'm going to pray more, I'm going to reach out and love more in in one specific way or another, because otherwise then it just becomes knowledge. And all that does is is puff us up and make us uh, even more useless because we're just knowledgeable people not doing the right things. Well, just as a reminder, at the end of the next session, when we're all done uh, with the day, as you're going out those doors, uh, we will hand you a copy of Love or Die. And we do have enough for one for every one of you, so we're uh, eager to put that in your hands. And uh, hopefully that will be encouraging to you. I would encourage you in the next month to pull that out again and review it with everything that Alex has talked about today fresh in your mind. I also want to encourage you again during the break and afterwards to uh, visit the book table and get whatever resources that you would like. During the next session, uh, Christian is going to sing for us one more time, and we'll enjoy that. And then we're also, believe it or not, we're already working on next year's conference. And so we're going to show you a little preview of what we got planned for next year, and uh, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll see you back then as well. But for the moment, uh, I have one last thing I want to do. Uh, there are two men I want to thank in particular. I don't know if they're both here. Uh, where is Chad Bray? Are you here? He's not here. He's probably doing something. And then uh, Tony Congdon is back there in the back. Tony, you're looking around like that's not you, but raise your hand, please. Tony and Chad planned this whole thing. So, oh, there he is, Chad coming in there. Um, there, are, there are two deacons in charge, of, uh, in charge of special events, and we've really just been blessed at Grace Bible Church to do our best to embrace a, an Ephesians 4.12 model of ministry where we equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And these guys have worked hard, and they've organized a crew of whether we have 25 volunteers, something like that, all Grace Bible Church members that have been here to care for you. And I really hope it's been our prayer that you have felt loved, that you've felt cared for, and that you've felt just a little bit of taste of heaven. Uh, today during this weekend as well. So uh, thank you guys for doing all that. And then um, uh, we have several technical people. James isn't here, but James Oweiler and and Sam and and, uh, Josh and others who have taken care of the technical parts. So uh, if you see somebody who looks like a Grace Bible Church volunteer, give them a thank you during this time. Let's take a 30-minute break, and we'll be back here at 3.30 on the dot. Lord bless you.